Yeah, it's not to say that you shouldn't do those things. You should, but you have to remember to add the leadership piece. Demonstrate that you're trying to close the gap. It doesn't mean that making a mistake is bad. It doesn't mean that talking about a challenge or a struggle is bad. But when possible, you want to demonstrate, again, specifically in this work environment, you want to demonstrate that you're trying to close those gaps yourself, that you're trying to solve the problem, you're trying to be accountable, you're trying to be responsible. If you can make that shift, then I think a lot of people will find that they're going to see faster career trajectory and progression and they will become more effective leaders. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Welcome to the Impact Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer McClure. And each week, I share conversations with influential thinkers, industry leaders, and change makers where we discuss topics relevant to leaders who want to thrive in the future of work. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Morgan, a trained futurist and one of the world's leading authorities on leadership, the future of work, and employee experience. Jacob speaks in front of tens of thousands of people each year, and his content is viewed by millions. He's the best-selling author of five books, Leading with Vulnerability, The Future Leader, The Employee Experience Advantage, The Future of Work, and The Collaborative Organization. In our conversation today, we'll delve into the concept of leading with vulnerability, which is the topic of Jacob's latest book and one that has gained significant attention in recent years. Jacob will share his insights on how leaders can effectively embrace vulnerability in the workplace, the importance of demonstrating competence alongside vulnerability, and the surprising findings from the extensive research he conducted to prepare for writing the book. Whether you're a seasoned leader looking to enhance your leadership style or someone eager to understand the future of work, I think you'll enjoy this enlightening conversation today. Well, welcome, Jacob Morgan, to the Impact Makers podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you today. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, what you're all about? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Jacob Morgan, and I've written a few books. My fifth one just came out. I'm a speaker, professionally trained futurist, and I help organizations create great leaders, engaged employees, and teach them how to become future ready. And I've been doing this for around 15 years. I have my own podcast. I have a Substack column. I create a lot of content online, uh, really teaching those three specific areas, uh, largely focused on leadership, employee experience, and the future of work. And I have a lot of fun doing it. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely link to all the places where people can get in touch with you or find your work uh, in the show notes. But that's quite a flex that I hope someday to be able to say I've multiple books. I love that. Um, but we're going to talk today about your most recent book. Uh, why don't you tell us what the title of that is and maybe actually what prompted you to write a book about this in the first place, especially since you have a few in your arsenal? Yes, uh, the book is called Leading with Vulnerability. And the idea from this book actually came from two different sources. One was personal and one was professional. On the personal side, my family came from the Republic of Georgia, which is part of the former USSR. Uh, some people might be familiar with Georgia, the country, not the state. And, uh, you know, growing up, my mom always tried to model emotional vulnerability and openness, but my dad was the exact opposite. And he was always 
be number one, don't talk about your feelings, don't show your emotions, nobody cares about your problems. And naturally, as a young boy, I grew up watching and emulating my dad. And that's pretty much how I lived my entire adult life up until a few years ago when I had a series of panic attacks. And what became clear after speaking with a couple of doctors and therapists was the panic attacks came from the fact that I had committed to writing a book about vulnerability when I myself was not vulnerable and didn't believe in it and didn't practice it. So that was kind of the personal journey. On the business side, when I wrote my previous book, The Future Leader, I would hear themes around vulnerability quite a bit from the executives that I would interview. But they were challenged with two, two areas around vulnerability. On the one hand, they knew what vulnerability was. They knew why it was important. But they understood this on a personal level, right? Being vulnerable with your spouse, your significant other, friends and family. And one of the questions that a lot of these executives were asking is, is vulnerability work the same as it is in your personal life? Because after all, at work, you have a hierarchy, you have a boss, you have deadlines, you have projects, customers, you're being paid. So it's a very different dynamic for vulnerability when it's in your personal life or at work. And so the question really became, is vulnerability for leaders the same as it is for everybody else? And is it the same at work as it is in our personal lives? And then the second challenge became, that a lot of these leaders were telling me that their employees were asking them on the one hand to be strong and competent and visionary and determined and you know uh, know that they have a path forward. But on the other side, these employees were asking their leaders to talk about their feelings and their challenges and their emotions and struggles. And so executives were trying to figure out which one of these am I supposed to be? The strong, competent, visionary leader or the person who's comfortable talking about emotions and feelings and challenges and struggles? And so what I wanted to do is to put together both quantitative and qualitative data, interviewing 100 CEOs, serving 14,000 employees, which I did with a leadership firm, DDI, and really try to understand the role that leadership plays in, or the role that vulnerability plays inside of organizations. And that's really what this whole book is about. How do you approach vulnerability in the right way at work? Well, I got lots of questions and obviously you have the research to, to give me answers, but you mentioned like one of the things that intrigued you was, is leadership vulnerability, is vulnerability for leaders the same as it is for employees, you know, people who aren't leading other people on teams, not that everyone is not important, but um, did you find an answer to that question? Is vulnerability equally important for all of us or more important for leaders? Well, equally important, but approached differently. So the answer to both those questions were, first of all, no, vulnerability is not the same in your personal life as it is at work, because we have a different dynamic at work. And second, vulnerability for leaders is not the same as it is for everybody else, because leaders are in a unique position where they are responsible for people, where they are responsible for the fiscal aspect of a business. And I have a couple of stories that I share in my book. Um, one of them is from the former CEO of Continental Airlines, which was struggling quite a bit in the 80s and 90s. And what Hollis Harris did at the time is he sent a memo out to his entire workforce, which was very vulnerable. And he talked about the challenges and the struggles that the business was going through. And at the end of the memo, he basically said, I encourage all the employees to pray for the future of the business. Right? That was his message that he delivered. Very vulnerable, but there was no leadership in there. Now, had he been uh, Hollis in accounting, a junior level employee, and he said that, Nobody would have thought anything of it, but when he, because he was a leader, a top executive of the company, and he said those things, it caused chaos and pandemonium. The next day he ended up actually getting fired. 
And I've talked to numerous CEOs over the past few years who've been in similar situations where their companies were going down, they were struggling. And one of them was Fleetwood Grobler, uh, the CEO of a South African energy company called Sassel. He was in a very, very similar spot. The business was $13 billion in debt. The banks were about to come in and repossess it. And his message was very different. He started off with the vulnerability piece, acknowledging the challenges to the business, the struggles that the company was going through. He acknowledged that he didn't see the exact path out of it. But then he brought leadership into the equation. And he said, I have a vision for where we can go as a business. I know we have a talented group of people. I know that we can rebuild trust in our customers and in our employees. And if you come with me on this journey and help me figure out that exact path forward, I know that we can be successful as a company. And that's exactly what they did. So the big argument that I make in the book is don't be vulnerable, lead with vulnerability. And if you want, I'm happy to explore the, the difference between those two things. Absolutely. Um, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Yes. So vulnerability is something that we've talked about for many years. Uh, Brene, Brown, uh, Brene Brown obviously pioneered a lot of the work and the research in this. And the way that we can think of vulnerability, Brene Brown defines it as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. If we think about this in the context of a relationship with somebody that you have at work, it's pretty much doing or saying something that exposes you to the potential of emotional harm. So for example, maybe I share a personal challenge or a struggle or a mistake or that I don't know how to do something with you. That's information that if you wanted, you could take and use it against me to maybe keep me from getting promoted, to get me kicked off a team. Like you have that ammunition now that you can use it against me. So that's what vulnerability is. You expose yourself. You talk about a gap. You show a gap that you have. Vulnerability is important because it does create a lot of trust. But again, we have to remember that this is inside of a work a work dynamic, so it's different. So vulnerability is about sharing a gap that you have. Leading with vulnerability is about sharing a gap that you have, but then also demonstrating that you are trying to close that gap. So a simple example might be instead of saying, I'm really sorry I made a mistake, you say, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Here's what I learned from the mistake. And here are three things that I'm going to do going forward to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again. And if you show up to work all the time and all you do is talk about the gaps that you have, all you do is you talk about your struggles, your challenges, why you can't do this, why you can't do that, why you're going through a hard time, uh, why your, your quality of work is down, that you don't know how to do this, that you made mistakes. Eventually, your peers and your leaders are going to look at you and they're going to say, maybe this isn't a good fit. <laughs> you're now, a it's not to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's not to say that you shouldn't do those things. You should, but you have to remember to add the leadership piece. Demonstrate that you're trying to close the gap. It doesn't mean that making a mistake is bad. It doesn't mean that talking about a challenge or a struggle is bad. But when possible, you want to demonstrate, again, specifically in this work environment, you want to demonstrate that you're trying to close those gaps yourself, that you're trying to solve the problem, you're trying to be accountable, you're trying to be responsible. If you can make that shift, then I think a lot of people will find that they're going to see faster career trajectory and progression, and they will become more effective leaders. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's such a nuanced point, but it's so important. I, even Brene Brown, I believe, is the one that originated this, you know, for writers and speakers to write from the position of a scar, not a wound. You know, so in other words, don't just say, well, you know, get up on stage and start crying and saying, you know, this is the terrible thing that happened to me. The audience doesn't want that burden. What they want to hear where they can connect with you is this is what happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you too. And here's how I'm either approaching it or here's how I got out of it. So 
the example that you gave of the CEO who said, I don't really know what's happening next, but I'm committed to this and I want you to come with me. I think it's a great example of what leading with vulnerability actually means. Yeah. And the challenge is that we spend a lot of time on vulnerability at work, which again, in itself is not a bad thing. I encourage the discussion of vulnerability to be more prevalent. But again, if that's the only thing that you focus on, then you're missing, and I call this the vulnerable leader equation, leadership plus vulnerability equals leading with vulnerability. Don't forget about both of those pieces. And you need both of those pieces. Again, we're specifically talking about in a work dynamic where you have to remember that you got hired in your role because you are supposed to be able to do what you got hired to do, right? The company is relying on you, the team, the people who brought you in, who are paying you, they are relying on you to be able to do something that you said you have the capabilities, the skills, and the talents to do. And so again, if all you do is point out the gaps that you have and demonstrate why you can't do something, then people are going to look at you and they're going to say, what are you doing here? This is probably not a good fit. However, if you're demonstrating that you're trying to close the gap, then the perception around you will change. People might look at you and say, well, maybe Jacob's not quite there yet, but I love his determination. I love that he's trying to learn. I love that he's trying to grow. I think Jacob's going to go places at this company because he's motivated and he's taking accountability in charge for what he needs to get done to move ahead. And it's a very, very simple distinction between the two, but one goes from a negative perception of you where people might you know, try to keep you down versus another one is demonstrating that you're trying to have forward progress and growth. And the, a simple definition that I have in the book for what it means to be a vulnerable leader is a leader who intentionally opens themselves up to the potential of emotional harm, vulnerability, but takes action to create a positive outcome when possible, leadership. So what's the action that you're willing to take to create that positive outcome when you can? Mm -hmm. I know I've had many conversations and I've you know been asked to opine on this as well about how leadership has or has not changed, depending on your perspective, in a post-pandemic world or whatever we're in post 2020 and 2021 and all that happened. Do you feel like vulnerability is a skill that is more important now because of what we've been through as a global community or was it always important and maybe now it's it's become more on center stage like empathy and a lot of the other softer skills of leadership. What's your opinion on the need for vulnerability and and where it has always landed versus where it is today? Always been important. Uh, I think it's more so important now, but I think what is also more important now is the ability to demonstrate competence, the ability to bring in that leadership equation, because there is a mentality now, right? We're starting to see a little bit of a shift. You know, don't be a victim inside your company. Don't just point out the problems that are happening. Try to take accountability and agency to solve your problems. It's very easy to show up at work and to talk about, oh, my experience isn't great. I don't have this learning. I don't have the budget for that. I'm not getting ahead because my manager hates me. And when you constantly view yourself as a victim at work, you don't help yourself. And this has, I think, been something that we've been doing quite a bit over the past few years. And so while vulnerability has never been more important, the demonstrating the competence and the leadership piece has also been never been more important. That's what we're really looking for. A lot of people are looking for that from their leaders. Leaders are looking that from their, uh, from their employees. And employees are looking at that and they want that from their peers as well. 
So kind of both, right? Vulnerability important, but also demonstrating that you are good at your job. And the thing that a lot of people need to remember is that you cannot use vulnerability as a way to justify poor performance. You can't just keep showing up to work every day saying the dog ate my homework. That's why I don't have it. At a certain point, you have to step up and be able to do the things that you need to do in the role and in the job that you're in. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me if I'm like a leader that either, you know, I've made my whole career on being strong and forceful and not showing a lot of vulnerability, or maybe I younger, old leader, newer seasoned leader that grew up in a household similar to yours, similar to yours, where vulnerability wasn't modeled. So now I know it's important. I've got your book. I've read it. But what are some of the first steps I should take to begin to demonstrate more vulnerability as a leader? I think there are a few things that the leaders can do. And again, everyone has a very different comfort level with this, right? I mean, I think of somebody like my dad, uh, you know, very, very challenging for him to be able to do this. Uh, you know, he's, he's been getting a little bit better over the years. But again, it's a challenge, work in progress. Same for me, by the way. A uh, big challenge for me as well. I still struggle with this and I try to do things on a regular basis to um, lead with vulnerability with my team. Um, so I think there are a couple of things that people can do. And there are a few frameworks and there are a few components in the book. I have eight attributes of vulnerable leaders. I have frameworks on the five components to think through. There's different types of superheroes. But if we were to purely think about where to get started, I think that the most helpful visual for people to keep in mind is this idea of a mountain. It's actually the cover of the book, which I think you can see back there. You can probably see a mountain in the distance. And it's to build your vulnerability mountain. And what that means is to identify what's at base camp for you. What's something small that you can do tomorrow? And what's sort of the, the, the scary thing that's at the top of that mountain? And once you identify the base and once you identify the peak, then you know what the path is that you need to take. And gradually, step by step, you can take, um, begin that journey to go from base camp to the peak. And you'll probably fall, you'll make mistakes, you'll have to backtrack to go back up. But at least to identify your starting point and to identify what's at the peak of the mountain for you, I think is a very, very helpful visual. You also need to lead by example. You can start small. Uh, like one of the CEOs I interviewed is Penny Pennington, the CEO of Edward Jones big financial institution, around 50,000 employees. And she told me that this was always very, very uncomfortable with her. Uh, and so when she started, one of the things that she did is she would have a little bit of a, a, canned, a, a canned response and a canned conversation that she knows she would have. And this really played a role when she would get into the elevator with her employees because she'd get in the elevator, there'd be maybe like a 30 second to 60 second elevator ride. And it was a little weird. Like she didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to engage with her employees. And so what she did is before she would get in the elevator, before she would show up to work, she would already know in her head, okay, when I get in the elevator with my employees, I'm going to share this about my weekend. I'm going to share this about a challenge that I have and what I'm doing as a result. And she would already kind of pre-plan that in her mind so that she could have those conversations with her employees. And that's how she started. And eventually she got comfortable with it and she didn't need to sort of plan and script and do those things. So you can take little steps day by day to try to share and open up and connect more with your employees. But the thing is, it needs to be authentic. If you show up to work one day and one of the CEOs I interviewed, uh, Salabate from a company called Verative, before he was CEO, he worked at a different company. And he said that uh, he worked for a, a really tough boss, like the type type of boss that would, you know, uh, curse you out, scream, uh, you know, the traditional like 80s, 90s uh, management type. 
And uh, one day, Sal shows up to work, some of his employees show up to work, and the CEO calls everybody into the conference room. And he starts playing a Bette Midler song, The Wind Beneath My Wings. And he starts telling all of his employees, you are the wind beneath my wings. I love you. I can't do this without you. And these employees were looking at each other like, what the hell's going on? Did this guy just have a stroke? And right, because he just showed up one day and started being like, I can't do this without you. And it, it just was out of character. It didn't feel authentic or genuine. So you can't just show up to work tomorrow and all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm going to be vulnerable and, and this and that. I'm a completely transformed person. That's not quite how it works. You need to make this a gradual journey and take steps over time to be this kind of a leader. And I hope that the book will help people do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the eight attributes that are outlined in your book. And of course, we need to get the book and read it so that we can all learn more about how to be more vulnerable or to lead with vulnerability. Is there one attribute that you feel like um, you could share with us that we need to think about in terms of leading with vulnerability from the eight that you've identified in your book? Sure, I can give you two. One would be from the leadership category and one would be from the vulnerability category. So there's three from leadership and five for vulnerability. When we look at the leadership piece, I'd say probably the most important one is competence. Uh, it's a recurring theme that I've talked about uh, during this conversation. And that is that there's no substitute for being good at your job. It doesn't matter how vulnerable you are, how emotionally intelligent you are, how empathetic you are, how great of a communicator you are. If at the end of the day, you are not good at your job, you're going to have a hard time, right? Because if you can't do the very thing that you were hired to do, it doesn't matter how much of the other stuff you're doing. Like you, At the end of the day, you got to be able to do your job. When we look at the vulnerability piece, there were five attributes there. I think one of the ones that we don't talk about enough that has been very important for me is self-compassion. Self-compassion is basically being kind to yourself. What is your internal dialogue, your internal voice? For me, it always used to be very negative. I play competitive chess and racquetball. I always did a lot of sports. And uh, whenever I would make a mistake in anything, whether it was personal or professional, my internal dialogue was always, you're an idiot. How could you do this? You're such a moron. Uh, now you're going to lose the game. Like it was just, it was not, not good. And the problem with that is that when you have a negative internal self-dialogue, if you are ever vulnerable with somebody and it doesn't go according to plan, which chances are it won't at some point, your internal dialogue is going to say, well, you should never be vulnerable again, because look, you did it. Somebody used it against you. You're an idiot. Don't be vulnerable with anybody else. So if you have that negative dialogue, it's going to keep you from leading with vulnerability. Whereas if you are self-compassionate and you talk to yourself in a kind way, then when things don't go according to plan, you're going to say, it's okay. What did you learn about the situation? What did you learn about yourself and the other person? Take what you learned, apply it to future scenarios. You're fine. Keep going. That's the voice that's going to keep you to lead with vulnerability. Whereas if you don't have self-compassion, it's going to stop it right there for you. And that's where the danger becomes. Uh, so self-compassion, I think, is a very, very important piece. Interesting. Well, in terms of sharing vulnerability or being vulnerable as a leader, is there also do we need to consider the level of trust that we've already established with people? I mean, I can think of picture a scenario where a leader shows up that maybe I'm a new employee and they start being vulnerable and I'm not comfortable with that because I don't have that trust with them yet to receive that information. Is, did I ask a very not leading question, but <laughs> tell me about how trust fits into the equation. Oh, it's huge. We've all been in that situation. We've all been at those dinners 
Uh, we've all been with those family members or with those employees where you have what appears to be a casual conversation with maybe somebody that you just met and all of a sudden they're telling you their life story. Uh, th this happened to me several times. And it kind of makes you take a step back and say, why are you sharing this? Like, you don't even know me. I don't even know you. And you're all of a sudden sharing all of this stuff with me. It's strange. All right. It, it, it gives you pause. And so there is a framework that I have in the book called the vulnerability wheel. And the vulnerability wheel walks through five different components. And the five different components are, you can either write these down or it can be sort of a mental checklist that you use. But at the very center of this vulnerability wheel is intention. And that's understanding why it is that you want to do whatever it is that you are sharing or doing. And, you know, what is it that you want to share or do? And then one level, level out from that, well, I won't go through all five, but who you are sharing with is one of those uh, vulnerability circles. Are you talking to somebody who you think has your best interest in mind? Somebody that you have a relationship with? Or is it somebody who is gunning for your job that's trying to rip your head off? So it is very important to understand who you're being vulnerable with, what you're sharing, what the timing is, what your tone is. Are you being professional about it? All of those components do make a difference. And of course, you can overshare. Of course, you can be too vulnerable. And usually that happens because the person being vulnerable doesn't know why they're doing it or sharing whatever it is that they're sharing to begin with. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Again, I can think of examples in my career where people have been vulnerable and it has been weird and also where it's been very impactful. I know an example of impact was I worked at a company where uh, we had a death in our factory in a freight elevator employee was moving freight uh, in an elevator and our factory was a four-story factory so everyone was in and out of the elevators uh, multiple times a day and so we we shut down operations and obviously did a lot of things to ensure safety of everyone and and allow people some time to grieve and heal but before we brought everyone back, we had and all we invited all the employees to come in and to meet and to kind of hear, you know, what steps we'd taken, et cetera. And our CEO and COO both were young, you know, Harvard grads, McKinsey, former McKinsey consultants. You know, we were there for a turnaround, so it had been a lot of hard work, and they were hard chargers. But without even, you know, us talking about it beforehand, they sat in front of the room, and both of them became very vulnerable in the sense that. They were truly impacted. We all were by this death and there were tears. You know, they expressed their their heartfelt sympathy and condolences. And the CEO made the statement that, you know, I know many of you may be afraid to get on those elevators. And if you are, I want you to know I'm happy to go first. I'm happy to go with you. We've done everything we can to ensure everyone's safety. But I know for some of you, that may be a process and I'm willing to join you on that journey. And yeah, that's a very and that's a very powerful thing for a leader to say. It was so powerful. Again, me being sitting up there with them, but sitting beside them and going, I was deeply impacted by what they said, and and it did bring everyone together, and and we were able to kind of go through that together. So um, a good example as well. Well, I know anytime you start to do research, or maybe you embark on the premise of a book, you have a premise that you are going after, but maybe through the research and through the stories and the interviews you hear, you hear something or identify something that kind of changes your perspective. Was there anything in your research or the book process writing that caused you to change your perspective on leading with vulnerability? Not so much change my perspective because I, I, I knew 
just what I have seen with other leaders and what I've experienced in my life, why this was such an important and powerful thing to do. So nothing that I did or researched changed my perspective to move me towards the opposite of that. But I mean, I was surprised by several things. One of the things that I was surprised by is the fact that a lot of CEOs that I interviewed expressed extreme discomfort with vulnerability. Some have had panic attacks. Some have told me that they didn't sleep. Some have told me that their voice shakes. Like it's a very, vulnerability is an uncomfortable thing. And I think a lot of people forget that. And a lot of people assume that leaders have it all figured out, especially if you're the top executive of the company, that nothing bothers you, um, that vulnerability is just fine and it, it doesn't, it's not a big deal. But the truth is that it does impact leaders a lot. I mean, it impacts everybody, but leaders are not these bulletproof tanks. They too experience the extreme discomfort of, an, of, of vulnerability. And whenever I would ask these CEOs, well, if this is such an unpleasant and uncomfortable experience, like physically, like not just emotionally thinking through it and not sleeping, but physically, like it, you know, panic attacks, rapid heartbeat, like you get physical and physiological symptoms from vulnerability because it's such an uncomfortable thing to do. But they do it because when you grow, you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And if you want to be the type of leader who does grow, you can't do that without pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. You can't do that without leading with vulnerability. Being able to acknowledge your gaps is how you get better. But the leadership piece is the actual act of getting better. You know, it's one thing to talk about the gaps that you have and acknowledging it, which is great. It's another thing to actually take steps to get better. And I think that's a very, very important thing that I learned from a lot of the executives uh, that I interviewed is that it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary because it pushes you to grow. Very well said. I think a great place for us to end today. Why don't you share with us where people can find more about the book, your other books, you, et cetera. And again, we'll also link up to it in the show notes, but many people may be driving and they want to do voice to text and look at it right now. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are a couple of places. So for the book, people can go to leadwithvulnerability.com. Uh, you know, that redirects you to uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you want to grab the book. But of course, if you go into one of those places and just type in leading with vulnerability, you'll you'll find it. Uh, we also have a Substack, which is where I share a lot of new ideas and research and themes that I'm working on. And that is greatleadership.substack.com. And then my personal website for people who want to reach out to me is thefutureorganization.com. All great URLs. You were early to the game, right? <laughs> well, thanks again, Jacob, for joining me today. And I look forward to learning more about vulnerability through your work or leading. I'm going to keep saying that leading with vulnerability, not just vulnerability through your work and through the book. I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you for having me. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 